Hello and welcome to the Shock Horror Podcast. How's it going? It's going not too bad. I usually I like to yeah, hear that. It's not too happy. How about you? Pretty good, you know, really expanding my knowledge uh, over this past week, uh, introducing myself to this franchise in a more meaningful way and just geeking out. I really love to discover something new. And this franchise was new for me, so it's going <gasps> really well over here. <laughs> what, like, brand new? You, had you, you'd never seen the, the original I, rings before? I saw parts of them when I was in college at parties, but I never really could sit still and actually, you know, look at them and think about them and pay attention to what they were really doing. <laughs> so it was oh. so nice to to sit with the story and then, you know, to think of what I had come to know from the American remake and, you know, to see all of the seeds. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Oh, I'm so glad. Because obviously, um, you know, it's very different. You know, the films um, have a completely different tone. I think the first one probably mm-hmm. has closest tone to the American remakes. But the other two mm-hmm. are just, you know, completely different. So, Oh, I'm, I am really mm-hmm. glad that you enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't realize that um, it was in a franchise that you hadn't seen before. Nope, nope. You got, you introduced me to a whole new world. And I'm excited because, you know, when we were talking far and horror, I was like, well, I'm expanding it around the world. And so I'll finally get into a lot of the Japanese horror that I have always been curious about. And so here we go. We're jumping in. <laughs> we are. Well, can I just say that... Um... Uh, the Ring series, okay, even though we have focused on the three films, the series itself mm-hmm. is so complex and convoluted. I'm going to tell you some facts and seats today that I think will actually not only blow your mind, but I don't mm-hmm. think there is another franchise uh, like Ring or Ringu. I think we should call it Ringu because that is the original title and that just makes it clear Deal. that we're not talking about the American version. So, Ringu, mm-hmm. it, it is so different. Like, I mean, oh, when we get into it, like, this franchise has been on a rocking roller coaster. It's absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I personally didn't know this until only a, a couple of years ago. But um, mm-hmm. Ringu is actually based on a book. Um, right, by, I did see that. By, is it Kujai? Uh, um, I'm not very good at names. <laughs> Me neither. Suzukai, Suzukai. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that. But yeah, so it was based on um, a book by this with the with the same name. Was and the book? Yeah, I like realized... a, a big book, or was it really only you know where they could start, or you know what I mean? Like, was it Game of Thrones style? enormous or was it just sort of like a regular book that was able to explore and expand into such a big i guess universe well here we go so the the ring series as in Mm -hmm. the book series has had one two three four five six seven 
eight, nine, Whoa. nine stories. So you've got the original Whoa. trilogy, Ring, Spiral, mm-hmm. and then Loop is the third is the third one. I don't think Loop okay. has actually ever been made into uh, any a film adaptation. And then uh, Birthday, which is what Ring Zero is based on. Right. And then these other um, stories are... Um, so one of them is a spin-off from Viral, the second in the trilogy, called Coffin in the Sky. And then the, there's a prequel to Ring, another prequel to Ring, which I, I don't think mm. it focuses on the character of Sadaku. But um, okay. that's Lemon Lemon Heart. That's what that's called. Whoa! Okay. And then there's actually a prequel to Birthday, which is a prequel to the Ring series, and it's called yeah. Happy Birthday. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then there's two um, new Ring novels, which are basically follow follows on from the original Ring trilogy, and. Uh, they were published in 2012 and 2013, and the first one's called wow. S, just the just the uh, just the letter S, and the second one is mm-hmm. called Tide, and that was published mm. in 2013. This is literally when you say, is it like a Game of Thrones sort of structure? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. There's <laughs> lots of it. There's lots of Ring uh, novelizations out there. Oh, that's amazing to know because it. it... I'm so excited to sort of talk through the story and how all of it works um, because mm. that's what I was thinking. I was like, if this is only one book, because sadly I did not do the research and I'm so sorry, but I thought, if no, 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 that's what book, I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Like how did they extrapolate all of these things? You know, like where, who is coming up with this amazing idea? Because it is such an interesting idea, you know, the variation there. And I'm so glad that, you know, it, that, it is as expansive and that there are books for people to get even farther and deeper into. I always appreciate when there is like a source material that's more rich, where if you need more time with those characters or you want to be in that world, you can go and get lost for so much longer, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. um, okay. I'm going to blow your mind again. Are you ca- okay? <laughs> the original mm-hmm. ring, the original Ringu, which is the first part in this trilogy, mm-hmm. is a remake. What? Is a How? remake. Because in How? 1995, there was um, a Japanese television adaptation of the first book. Oh, like a TV movie or a miniseries? Yeah. So it was um, released in 1995. This remains the closest to the book, um, but <gasps> didn't have the success or recognition of later films. Aha. Uh-huh. Ooh, I'm very excited to talk about, you know, the adaptations from the books and how close they are, because that's so interesting that the adaptation yeah. of the closest is the one people are like, nah. <laughs> Do you see what I mean, though, when I say that this, franchise is very convoluted like it's not as straightforward as having three movies and Mm -hmm. like all those other films i mean like it doesn't even stop with the three films like it goes on much further um Mm -hmm. actually let's get this stuff out of the way first and then we can talk about the three films that we're going to talk about because i think this is a really interesting like arc to talk about them as a trilogy uh when it comes to the production 
So um, okay. this this blows my mind. Okay, this really does blow my mind. I'm so excited mm-hmm. to talk to you about this. But um, when the first film came out, obviously it was a massive success. Um, mm-hmm. It was one of the highest grossing movies um, in Japanese history. And obviously when it got transferred over to uh, the West, Western audiences just absolutely fell in love with it too. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you do when a film becomes so successful? You make a sequel, okay? And they <laughs> did make a sequel, but mm-hmm. the sequel wasn't Ring 2. Wait. Wait, what? Yes. What was it? What is uh, it? Originally, originally they um, adapted the book Spiral, and it came out in 1998, the first, um, the, the same year as Ring came out. So it was a, it was a, a sequel, and it was directed um, by it had a different director, and it was uh-huh. based on the novel, and it was uh, Spiral. And in North America, it was actually called Raisin, so R A S E N. What? Um, but in, in the UK, it was called Spiral. So um, mm-hmm. it was released. It was actually released at the same time in Japan as Ring. So you could go and Whoa. watch Ring, and then you could walk across the cinema into the other screen and watch uh, Spiral, the sequel. Wow. Wow, that's so, the reason, so interesting. Yeah. So the reason why they did this was the studio was hoping that it would increase uh, revenue if they used the same cast, you know, same set for both films. Yep. Um, and because the Ring story um, had was already like a successful novel and television film, they knew they mm-hmm. had a formula already that was going to be successful. So the two yeah. films shared yeah. um, cast members and had the same production team but different directors and screenwriters. The Spiral was mm-hmm. written by uh, Joey um, Aida, uh, whereas Ring was obviously um, uh, written by somebody else and directed by somebody else. But after uh, it was released, Ring, Ring became an enormous success and Spiral mm. um, just became the forgotten sequel. It just didn't do very well because uh, it just wasn't a very good movie. So... So because Ring had been so successful and Spiral hadn't, like people mm-hmm. were very dissatisfied with Spiral, like audiences didn't like it, um, mm-hmm. what they decided to do was completely and utterly forget that Spiral ever existed and then bring it. the production team, a writer and director from the, from the first Ring film, uh-huh. bring them in to do, the, to do a official Ring 2 with the production oh. team from the first ring because they wanted to completely and utterly forget that spiral existed. <laughs> so they wanted the same creative team that made Ringu to come in and make Ring 2. Wow. That's the reason. I mean, that is such, that's such helpful information because the reason why I had to confirm with you which films we were going to watch is because when I was trying to do research and figure all of that out, I was sort of seeing things that confused me in this way that I was like, oh, I feel like I'm just like culturally not getting something here and I'm really embarrassed. So I'm just going to ask for help because I couldn't understand like what Spiral was. How could it be coming out at the same time? Like I was all over the place confused 
And I, I kind of love that they were like, whatever, that confusion's totally worth it because when it matters, people are going to see a very concise uh, trilogy, essentially. Okay, so I'm going to, um, without looking this up, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask our audience as well, actually, um, mm-hmm. if they know, but how many uh, films based on The Ring do you think there have been? Are we going to count also like Amer- the American adaptation and all the nonsense that they're trying to do, or are we just sticking with the, yeah, the yeah, original we'll, we'll material? Include that. No, we'll include okay. that as well. We'll include the, the, not the American nonsense. Oof, 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 oof. Okay, my guess, I'm just going to throw out 25. Oh, wow, okay. You've gone way high. Just well, there's not 25. I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, now that I know they're so flexible in terms of being like, we'll just redo this, we'll like slide this over here, we'll like make this one and then forget about it. I thought, man, maybe they just trial and error it in a next level way. And there are so many more than I thought. <laughs> well, here we go. I mean, it, you you went big. It, it's not that big, but it's still... 14 <gasps> movies. Wow. So I'm going to list them now. So okay. Rin, Ring okay. Kazaban, which is the original um, TV uh, series. Mm-hmm. And then we have Ring, the uh, Ringu. And then we have mm-hmm. Raisin or Spiral. <laughs> then we right. have Ring 2. Mm-hmm. Then, I've not seen this. I think it's really difficult to get hold of. But after Ring oh. 2, uh, in between Ring 2 and um, Ring 0, they released a mm-hmm. film called The Ring Virus. Yeah. I've yes, heard, I saw that somewhere. That. Yeah. I, I so saw that meme, but virus, I couldn't find it either. Yeah, I might have to look at that up, actually. So after The Ring Virus, there was Ring Zero, birthday, uh, which right. to me is the official like trilogy right there. Um, yes. Then you have the ring, the American version. Then you have the ring two, the American version. And this yeah. is where it starts to get really bizarre. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then you have Tadaku 3D. <gasps> you did? Wow. And then you have Tadaku 3D 2. <laughs> yes. Oh, that sounds amazing. And then... Oh, this is this just makes me a little bit sick in my mouth. Then you have <laughs> Tadaku versus uh, Kayaku, which is the ghost from the Grudge. The so Tadaku yes. versus the goat from the the evil woman from the Grudge. Wow, I, I did see that somewhere too, and and that also confused me because I was like, that's a movie. They're gonna be Freddy versus Jason, like come together at some point. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so that really was a movie. That wasn't like a, a TV yeah. show or, or anything like that. No, that was a film. That was in 2016. <sighs> then in 2017, they released another American version uh, called mm-hmm. Rings. Right. Uh, which I ha- which I have seen and didn't did not get very good reviews at two. And then in 2019, in Japan. Uh, the mm-hmm. original director of Ring came back to direct a film purely and simply called Dadaku. And that's from 2019. Okay. 
it's not 3D, so hopefully when it uses the same no. title, it's not, yeah, it's not as pretentious. It's a little bit more, let's rein it in. Yep. And then wow. also there was another uh, TV series in 1999, <laughs> which was the year after the, um, the first film came out called right. The Ring, The Final Chapter, which was obviously a lie. Because <laughs> it really yes. wasn't. But um, yeah, that's wow. That that is insane to think about because you know it it it's sort of like again it has a bunch of books so there there's source material to go around but it also feels like it's something that sort of speaks to people in an interesting way where I think they want to tell different versions of the story. Like, especially mm -hmm. how I feel about the American adaptation, it, it wants to tell the best pieces of the originals, but then it also has its own ideas about something. And I am really curious to kind of talk about, I don't know, how, what do you think about that? You know, do you think that when they changed that director to do Spiral, you know, because he wanted to do it differently or saw, saw adapting it differently, do you think that that has to do with its lack of success? No, I think that the reason why they um, why they hired a different director and writing team to make Spiral was because they wanted to rush the films out together, and therefore they mm. knew that the production team on uh, the first Ring film obviously would not have time or the right. um, you know just the time and the facilities mm -hmm. to make both films back to back. So why not send right. two production teams out to make like the two films at the same time so that they're, they're both making simultaneous films except one mm -hmm. of them is the sequel um, which is awful because if you think about it how can you make a sequel to a film that hasn't that hasn't actually been made yet well exactly you know like in a way people feel a sense of license where they're like this hasn't really been made but I know enough and so here's what I think it is and I think that's what I'm curious about is like, you know, how, how are people connecting to and interpreting this franchise? Because holy smokes, it's been around for like 20 plus years now, you know, alive and well. And when I was watching these and being like, oh, that's right, they're from the 90s, being like, oh my God, <laughs> I always think of them as like, oh, they were like a few years before that one. And that was only like a couple years ago. <laughs> but yeah, you know, they, they've been this... with us for so long. I know they really have. Yeah. I mean, um, I have you seen Spiral? I have it. I do actually have it on um, DVD because um, when Arrow Video, you know, I keep telling you about Arrow Video, um, my the favorite production company, yeah, that released all those amazing, um, like, four K versions of classic films like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, uh, Donnie mm -hmm. Darko is one of my favourites that they've done as well, but they also did yes. the Ring Trilogy, or the Ring Collection, as it was called, uh -huh. uh, from Arrow Video. It was brilliant. Amazing box wow. set. I, of course, have it, because um, I, I, I bought it on the day of release. I absolutely love it. But they actually include Spiral on the Blu-ray release on the same disc as Ring 2. I made it mm. probably about 30, 45 minutes through uh, Spiral, mm -hmm. and then ended, and then my attention just sort of sort of drifted, so to mm. speak. It didn't, okay. it didn't rip me at all. 
Yeah, kind of fell off the spiral. Mm. Yeah. It just it yeah. just went down a completely different route. And the thing, and we'll get to Ring 2, but there's one p- particular thing that I absolutely adore about uh, Ring 2, the Japanese version. But we'll get to that mm-hmm. when we... Uh, when we get when we get there but um so here we go we're back in our time machine Ah, we're going back to the the 90s we're going back to 1998 um and you know um this novel has just come out it's been massive massively successful um and then the film is made of the ring and um I've told this story a few times, so I really do hope that if anyone is listening um, and you're like, oh, hang on a minute, you've told this story before. I do apologise, <laughs> but I think it is really important. So my very first experience with Ring was mm-hmm. I was babysitting my um, my brother and I think my sister was born. I'm not entirely sure. Um, mm-hmm. my, both of my parents are police officers, so they used to work like very odd shifts. So I used to babysit quite a lot from quite a young age like 12 13 years old but that was Mm -hmm. brilliant for me because that was the time when I used to borrow like videos from friends and hide them under my bed and wait for my parents to go out and watch them and now when I'm when I say this people are like oh what like porn no I'm talking about the exorcist I'm talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre I'm talking about yeah Robert England in in um Mm. uh Phantom of the Opera you know like those kind of things yes so um oh absolutely so on channel four um which is like the channel it's the most sort of avant-garde you know sort of middle finger to the bbc basically is how i would describe four in the uk they do a lot of um you know very controversial dramas documentaries and they're also Mm -hmm. the channel that you go to like film four for example which is a huge film company here is all based Mm -hmm. around channel four and they make very like they made train spotting, you know, and they're wow. very close linked to Danny Boyle and his stuff. Oh. So, um, wow. yeah, yeah. So, I was sit- sitting there one night, and um, Mark Kermode, who's one of my favorite movie uh, commentators, he's an absolute, mm-hmm. um, he's probably the most famous uh, film reviewer in the UK, and he's uh-huh. a massive horror. Um, fan, massive horror. Yeah. His favorite film is The Exorcist. Oh, so amazing! He used to come on and do like thir- a thirty-minute documentary before a film, and then mm-hmm. the film would play. So you'd have like he'd come on. He did um, Hand of God, which was the The Exorcist documentary for the first time uh-huh. that The Exorcist was ever on British television, which I think was in two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Um, wow! And then and then he did The Ring. And I remember watching Mark Kermode like talking about it and really hyping it up and saying it's one of the best horror movies of you know mm-hmm. the 20th century, blah, 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 blah. Really hyping it up. Anyway, I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to watch this. This would be quite cool. And also what I also remember is that it was, with the films, they never used to put commercials on during the films on Channel oh, 4, awesome. which was really awesome. good. So I remember watching it and that one sequence at the end which is which I think the film is most famous for the television sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I was frozen. I literally could not move. I was so scared. I don't think I've ever been that scared. I would say that's probably the most scared I've ever been in a horror film. Uh, Watching that yeah. sequence in the dark by myself. 
Oh, especially because you were like at home. So it's not like there's an audience of people around you that can make you be like, yeah, guys, we're all sharing this experience together. Like, it's not so scary because we're all at the movies. You're sort of like yeah. home as as the only adult, quote, in quotations, uh, trying to keep it cool. Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. And because you're at home and, you know, like the whole thing is based around a video, a TV and you're watching it, you know, like, I'm sure that someone has watched Ring and um, has, you know, watched that scene in that video and then their phone has rung, you know, straight after, and I bet they've gone, oh, my God, I'm not answering that phone. (laughs) Oh, I I was thinking about that, like how I, you know, by the time it comes out in the States so I can learn about it, it's like sort of the time where we all are having cell phones, like everyone has a cell phone and home phones are kind of going out. But if I had seen that movie around the time it was coming out, there would have been house phones. And so I, I was thinking like, oh, it's so nice that like, ghosts don't call yourself except for impulse, you know? So we're good here. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing scarier, is there, than being told that you've got seven days to live. And what's scary about um, that sequence in the motel when she, mm-hmm. you know, goes in, she looks around, she finds the cassette tape, and then she puts it in, and she plays it. You know, like, you, you immediately think, it's one of those situations where you're like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Like, you've heard, you know, you know, of the possibility of this killer videotape. You've heard the, mm-hmm. the, the story. Why would you do it? But I think that that videotape itself is an art form. Like, it's oh. terrifying. Yeah, I I was thinking so much about that too, you know, like how, so interested in this idea and and where it really came from and, you know, what informed it. Um, Because, you know, unfortunately, my first exposure in a real meaningful way was only this past Thursday. So I haven't had as much time to sit with this and watch it and dissect it the way that I, I sadly have with the American adaptation because I'm a huge Naomi Watts fan. So I'll show up every day for all of that. And I was curious, you know, about sort of like the tape and how in the American adaptation, they they tried to make it worse and they like sort of lose what I think made the originals tape so eerie. Because I remember Mm. waiting and waiting and, and waiting because I don't know what's going to happen. And when I watched the American adaptation, they're like assaulting me with imagery. And so I don't know, I yeah. found the nuance of that video to be so eerie in the best way. And also the soundscape as mm-hmm. well is just... I, I do think that the um, the Japanese version, the videotape in the Japanese version, is much better. It's much more subtle mm-hmm. than the American mm-hmm. version. I feel like there's a few things in the American version, like, for example, the ladder that is a yep. little bit like, okay, banging us over the head. Okay, these are visions that we're going to see later on in the film. We get it. But with mm-hmm. um, there's a sequence with uh, uh, in the Japanese one where it's like people crawling on the floor, like they're yes. crawling up a hill. That, to me, is so weird. Mm-hmm. So odd and mm-hmm. so bizarre. And then you've got the figure standing there, you know, with the sort of um, pointy thing, like with the, with the cloth over their face. You've got the mum looking in the mirror, and then the mirror, like, sort of gips over, and you see Tadaku. Mm -hmm. It's so brilliantly done. Well, and 
I'm so interested in that tape itself as like a film. You know, what is the imagery of that tape telling us that later, you know, this story will attempt to, I think, expand upon and explore, you know, because like what what is it about these dreamlike images, right? Like images that feel so surreal to me and that I was thinking was like, oh, wow, this is like introducing surrealism to a whole new crowd as just a nightmare because frankly that's how I feel about surrealism movies that they're just somebody's nightmare I was forced to sit through and this nightmare in particular you know says something about about you know people about uh feelings about a mother and daughter a family I don't know what do you think about you know the imagery in that video in terms of I guess the story at large well, the story is basically that, you know, this is a little girl's, like, psyche being imprinted mm-hmm. on, onto the world, on, onto, a, onto sort of a medium um, yeah. in, the, in the moments of her death, you know? She's, she's in a well, she's craw- uh, clawing to get out. That's what that scraping sound, the, vi- those, oh. the, the violin strings that really mm-hmm. just make you teeth stand on end you know you've got the imagery of like when we actually get down into the well and we see you know what sadaku was like dropped into you know you see the bloody yep. um, marks on the on the inside of the well so i think mm-hmm. that as you go along like that video itself to begin with is completely like you said surrealism uh it doesn't make much sense but i think that you know that oh, but it's the kind of, does. of the puzzle that, that's yeah. what i mean because of surrealism and being forced to watch it in college, I was thinking to myself, like, wow, this is actually pretty, like, this is better than the American adaptation because the American adaptation is just trying to make make less sense and scare you, it feels like. <clears throat> Whereas I really do follow kind of like the thinking of the original Ring, Ringu story of, you know, that, that a thought and a feeling can turn into something more physical, can curse an object. And, you know, the imagery in particular isn't uh, uh, over, it isn't over the top. It's like subtle, as you say, and specific to, you know, this idea of like <clears throat> having that connection of that psyche being something in the air that somebody can pick up. And I don't know. No, absolutely. That the imagery of the original was so much more thought out than the remake, the American remake. And also, it does that really clever, simple thing that Wes Craven did with Night- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, you're watching a film, you're, you've got a character in there that is scary, that is emblazoned on your brain, then you mm-hmm. go to sleep, you dream of that character, and that's where the character kills you. It's great. It's very meta. It's really um, mm-hmm. a really clever idea. Here, yeah. you've got a video um, that you know, if you watch it, seven days later, you die. You know, mm-hmm. but you're watching it along with the characters. You know, you're actively involved in, yes. you know, the, the curiosity that killed the cat, basically. You know, you're, yep. you're actively involved in that. So, you know, you watch Ringu and then, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a week on tender hooks to think, oh, shit, you know, like, I feel like I've lived that experience as well. Am I going to die mm-hmm. in seven days? You know, it's, it's a really clever, neat idea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's such a clever idea to, for, for the medium to sort of be video 
and kind of like TV because I feel like you know what what movies are the, these worlds we can escape into and the TV is sort of the is the portal essentially. So mm-hmm. I really like the idea of of grounding that and being like here's a way that that portal is able to co- go into how you're able to take the power of that portal and put it in a tape and make a portal anywhere you want, right? Like it's this yes. tool. Uh, in a way, and I, I like that social commentary, but that also, you know, begs the question of, of the cultural elements here and the variation in what it what it means to have, you know, very powerful feelings and be, be able to turn your energy into something that can be more than you. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, exactly. And that's what the story is. It's like a very vengeful story. You've got um, mm-hmm. Sadaku, or if you want to... Uh, refers to the American version, um, Damara, you know, who is uh, who is a young girl who has been through a hideous experience and has a way of imposing her anger and her vengeful spirit and her, you know, her her lack of understanding yep. on others. You know, so others are going to suffer for right. um, for what people have done, and that's a very sort of broad story as well. And also you've got this thing of, you know, personal responsibility. You know, like the mm-hmm. only way you can stop yourself from dying is if you copy the tape and then show it to somebody else. I mean, yes. if that's not, if that's not, I'm sorry, but if that's not like a really open metaphor for what we're going through today about mm-hmm. mask wearing, do you know what I mean? Like copying that video and giving it to someone else to me, is the equivalent of walking into Walmart without a mask. You know, what, yes. you know. Well, you know? And, and also just at what we have done in terms of being sort of always playing telephone, but playing telephone with things that are dangerous, right? Like mm-hmm. the internet is a place where we can show any video and we can have no accountability and stuff, and we can't really know what that video will do to someone. And that's kind of what they're getting at here. You know, maybe they're talking a little bit more directly in that time kind of about sort of like how maybe films can have an impact because, you know, as we talked about in the 90s with Scream, you know, there was this idea that uh, it was going to create killers because they were seeing this violence. So I wonder if this Mm. is a way of sort of saying, hey, you know, like if kids are if kids are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, you know, watching things they shouldn't be watching and thinking about things they shouldn't be thinking about this could happen to them because I, I found it interesting that there was like a little bit more of an emphasis on different places where you could see the woman, right? She wasn't just on a tape. She was on a late night channel. So if you stayed up too late, you might see her. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I would like, uh, go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to say another, um, Another parallel that I find with this film and Nightmare on Elm Street is mm-hmm. the guilt of the guilt of the adult. Yes. You know, when we go to the when we go and discover, you know, that old guy that knows about Sadaku and is quite knowledgeable about, you know, the 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 scenario that led up to the the video being created and then mm-hmm. he attempts to um to bury her at sea. You know, like there's a lot of guilt from the from the adults, and obviously the mother. You know, she. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. So it's the father, isn't it? It's the mm-hmm. it's the doctor that kills um, Sadaku in the original, but in the 
American remake, it's the mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, which again, I found to be super duper interesting because both of them are talking about, you know, the guilt of the parents because also they're talking about neglect. You know, like these children have been severely neglected in some way, whether that be that they lost a parent, like in the original where you know, her mother killed herself and she had to watch her mother be ridiculed. And because her pain ended up causing her father some ridicule, ultimately, you know, he, he ended up killing her. And in the American mm. remake, they don't even look at the dynamic of neglect in any more of a way than a very bland American. Like, these are some two people who probably accidentally got pregnant or tried to be real people that could not be selfish and can't because they're such mm-hmm. worst parents <laughs> in the American remake. Yeah, they're yeah. Like the worst parents ever. And it makes perfect sense that their kid might easily be swayed because of this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I just find it really interesting about that element of parent guilt, which we do see a lot of also in um, in Nightmare on Elm Street with uh, mm-hmm. the mum and, you know, her, the John Saxon as the police officer. You know, yeah. there's that element of guilt, yet trying to cover things up and, you know, try and sort yeah. the situation out, but obviously not doing a great job. Yeah, sort of being neglectful, but then kind of trying to rationalize their neglect as like good parenting right like well you know we we didn't actually talk to you guys about if you were afraid of Fred we didn't actually try to help you guys move through this and understand these complicated things we all just decided to kill him like (laughs) you know what I mean yeah yeah the way that they're protecting their children in Nightmare is very similar to the strange way that in the Ringu franchise the parents are protecting you know the boy the boys yeah it's very interesting maybe the variation too of how we protect girls versus boys yes yeah absolutely and i think that also that that i I think the way that they bring the um the story um through the journalist is really interesting Mm -hmm. because i think that that's a really good way of you know bringing the story because obviously you've got a character who is naturally inquisitive because of her job Yep. So it's not just someone who stumbles across this is like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do. She's actually running a story on this, you know, and then obviously um, gets caught up in it because her niece dies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that's a really neat way of doing it. Having someone who is naturally inquisitive, who would have the means to um, to launch an investigation into this um, these activities. And yeah, I thought that's mm-hmm. a really neat plot device spot device to get us into the story really quickly yeah I mean that's also interesting like you were saying too you know how there's a pretty great metaphor for like what's happening now in this story and you know for journalism to be a part of it you know journalism to be the thing that kind of inadvertently uh, sets this thing off in a new way is really interesting too again especially considering the, the cultural variations like as much as I love Naomi Watts, she's she's not just curious. She's she also wants to like be right. She also wants recognition. And in the original Ringu, it, it felt way more like they were like, "Huh, I, I want to know about this. I actually am inquisitive. I'm not like, oh, this is gonna you know get us ratings. This will be great for sweeps." And you yeah. know that's what the American version is doing. She's being like, "This is the best story, so like you can't fire me." 
it's just so yeah. cheap <laughs> comparatively you know yeah I, I feel like it does lessen the character definitely in the american remake but but again you know using that plot dev- device of having someone who is an investigator who is naturally inquisitive mm-hmm. i think is uh is a really neat uh plot device and obviously you know i've spoken about it a little a little bit already but that thing in the tale Mm-hmm. of uh, the first Ring movie, I think, is absolutely um, spot on. Oh, You know, yes. like, the, with um, the setup that we've already had, because I think repetition also plays um, a huge part when it comes to the video. So you've got yes. the video, you see it at the beginning, you're very, um, you're very clued up about the beginning, at the end of the video being a well- you know, we see mm-hmm. the well um, in the first time we see the video. Every time we see the video from then on, we see a li- it gets a little bit longer. The end just gets a little bit longer. You know, the yes. well, and we see, a, we see a hand coming out. And then, you know, then we see, like, hair, like the, the, a torso coming out. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to that last scene, I think it's so brilliantly constructed. Because obviously you mm-hmm. hear it first. And then you turn around, then you see... And then you're seeing something that, that is a sort of a motif. We've seen this already. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen the well already. And then we see her come out. And then we see her start to walk towards the screen. And you're thinking, okay, this is, you know, we have seen this already. But now it's sort of taking it to the extreme. What uh-huh. could possibly happen? And I think that, that just when she puts her hand through the screen and starts to crawl out, I think it is absolute genius. And then she oh. stands up and she, that's, that's, um, that shot when she stands. It's mm-hmm. almost like she's a hundred foot tall. Yes, you know I mean? it's shot so uh, again subtle, but very effective in doing that and creating that depth around her. I totally agree. Yes, she looks like huge, towering over him. And then, obviously, we haven't seen um, all we've seen of Sadako up to that point is the you know the girl in the white, like nighty with the hair over her face, very traditional. Mm-hmm sort of Japanese or J-horror in general, um, right. you know, silhouette. And then we see the eye and then we realise that that is it looking at, looking into her, her eyes is what causes people to ultimately meet their end. Yes, yes. The, the like Medusa you know? factor of it all is yeah. very interesting. And what the final scene and what you're talking about with the tape sort of progressing in that way was making me think of this as kind of like the Candyman a little bit, you know, sort of a character mm-hmm. who is bored in misunderstanding and hate and, you know, humiliation and oppression, uh, who, if you, if you call out his name enough times, he can come through the mirror. And by putting the video in as many times as it takes for her to be able to get out of the TV, immediately I was like, wow, it's kind of like Candyman, except the mirror is a TV now. And if enough people watch, the, the barrier is broken and she can start to follow people around in real life and all they have to do is look at her. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think what also I love about that sequence is that um, as a viewer, you're watching it and, like, she comes through the TV in the film and then she's there and she's looking at you and she's right up close. You know, that scene oh. sequence when you see her eye, it is literally, mm. um, you know... Um, an extreme close-up, you have that feeling of, oh, God, what next? Is she going to push through the screen into my living room, you know, or into my lounge? Yes. You know, oh, there really so, is that element. 
Yes. Yeah. The tension by the time we get to that moment, because again, of how sort of like subtle the camera is building this depth so that she does really feel like she could come through because it's not flat at all. It's perfectly framed to be like, this is what it is, is that if you actually look at her, if you actually let her into through your eyes, she's got you. You know what I yeah. mean? Like oh, there's yeah, something absolutely. about the, the eyes being a big piece of this because you need to see the tape. You need to, you know, look at her for her to really get get you. And, you know, in the sequels, I really like how, how they kind of explore, like, what are these really interesting ways that people have not quite succumbed to her? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And I think, again, it's like, it's that scary. The end is not only a twist because, A, she's climbing through the TV, but it's a twist mm-hmm. that everybody who's died up to this point has had this experience. You know, we yes. learn, you know, everyone, you know, the, the niece, uh, the college, the, the school kids that watch the video in the cabin, you know, up to mm-hmm. this point, you know, we've not quite known how they've died, but now mm-hmm. we realize that she's come out of the TV every time. You know, yeah. this, is not the, this, this is not her first rodeo, but it is just mm-hmm. for us. You know, well, exactly. Yeah, it's sort of like this is the this is the way that she's able to move throughout and you know enact her will through something that seems you know like in the air uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the energy, right? Because there is something interesting about how what she's doing in the original franchises is kind of scaring people to death, right? Like they don't try to. I guess like it, it's not really about her. Uh, making them look like they've been in a well or any of the nonsense that again <laughs> the american version just like totally misses i think what mm. the the stronger story element is is that like you know the fear the the inability to not listen to fear in the correct ways is what got you here because someone told you and warned you about that tape and your fear was not correct you didn't listen when you should have and now it's grabbing your heart and stopping it and i like yeah, that absolutely. so much more uh, I think then, you know, this idea that like she's gonna crawl out and when she grabs you, you're gonna look like you drowned in a well. It's just such a waste. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. I, no. I completely agree with you. Completely agree. And what also, um, like, I noticed is that obviously we've got this uh, uh, element that it was Sadaku's like dad that was ultimately make made her meet her end, and then mm-hmm. we sort of flipped that and had this sort of parallel where at the end um the journalist the main the protagonist then Mm -hmm. makes a copy of the video and shows it to her father to to prevent her son from um from dying so it's almost like a complete flip there at the end which i thought was really interesting i totally agree like i was so um like essentially shocked because i thought wait a minute she's she's going and showing it to her her own dad what Like, I I didn't understand, you know, what that could be about, but that's also where I thought, I wonder, like, what what the actual greater story was supposed to be focusing on and, like, what the very personal metaphor is of this, you know, family and this world. And it is curious that, you know, like, she does allow her parent to die, and that kind of says something about his parenting, even if he wasn't the worst parent. Yeah. Like, you know, what a weird, (laughs) what a weird thing to happen yes absolutely um but at the end of the day you know they have a very different relationship with death 
um, That's you true. know, than we do. So that could play a big part in it. And obviously, you know, it's, um, you know, an elder who doesn't necessarily have much time left for this world, mm-hmm. almost sacrificing himself to save his grandson, which is actually quite romantic. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, we know how he's going to die. You know, it's not exactly, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's pretty um, shocking and hard hitting that ending. Yeah, it's, it Definitely. is really challenging in the moment but i think you know if we can slide towards the sequel now you know there there is a moment where you know she has a vision of her father and her father is saying we saved him i thought so that's when i was like oh okay so like it isn't this thing where she's like whatever you know my dad was a dick so we'll just do this it really was what you were saying more sort of like no you know like i i can try to take this on because i have a lot of experience and I don't have time but I want to save you know the young of my family I liked that so much more because you know the the actual story with Sadako and her family it's about generational trauma too right like what Mm -hmm. what is happening in her family is just being transmitted to uh, the next generation the same is happening you know in our in our lead family Mm -hmm. Asakawa I think is the woman's name right yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked her her version of a neglectful mother, like before we kind of slide because she won't get to be paramount in the next film. But I liked her version of sort of, it's not really like she isn't thinking of him. It's sort of like she kind of respects that like he's pretty self-sufficient and she thinks that that's actually good for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. What I really love, and uh, like you said, we're going to head into the um, into the sequel now, into Ring Two. Um, so it's funny how just look at the parallel between Ring Two, the Japanese version, and Ring Two, uh, the American version. Now, ew. the thing that I, yeah, ew, but the thing that I find absolutely bonkers is they were directed by the same person. Whoa. Whoa, they were. So Hideo Nakata, who directed the original Japanese ring, or Ringu, and then Mm -hmm. directed Ring 2, he directed Mm -hmm. the American version of Ring 2. Whoa. Do you you think that it was kind of like Funny Games vibes, where he was going to try to like do something the way he wanted to, or he thought maybe he could try something, you know, um, that he was more interested in. Well, <laughs> I just think that the Ring Two, the American version, just completely and utterly fails on every. Oh, level. I hate it! I absolutely yeah. hate it. <laughs> that's yeah. what I mean. That's like, did he think like, oh, I need to do something else, and that's why it fell so flat because it like didn't actually make sense. Well, or it didn't, it wasn't as effective. Like, even though, you know, Ring 2 kind of goes in a whole other direction in the original franchise and, like, brings more of, you know, the, the telekinesis into it, mm-hmm. this, the American remake is so weird because I feel like it wants to, it wants to tell a different story. Like, you know, it wants to, I don't know why, but it sort of wants to comment on how I think parents sometimes hate their kids enough to want to kill them. And that that's, like, not, 
I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on like what the ring two is trying to say the American version. Cause I hate it so much. So I'm always trying to figure out like some reason to, to let it, let it be in existence. But I was just way more grateful for the sequel in this franchise. Cause I, it feels more in line, even though it's beginning to spread out in a way. Do you know what I mean? Well, any film that has the line, yeah, I'm not your fucking mother, is just like right? dead, dead to me. Dead to me. Like, it's Seriously, crazy. Seriously. What the hell? Right? Like, what the right? hell? <laughs> yeah, and I do think that the, um, the biggest reason uh, between the two being so uh, far apart is budget. I just think that mm. um, uh, Hideo Nakata uh, got huge amounts of money uh, from mm-hmm. Hollywood to make this huge, great big budget. And if you watch uh, The Ring 2, the American version, it's mostly CGI. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. CGI in there. The practical effects Ugh. are just thrown out the window. And I just think that mm-hmm. that is studio um, interference and budget. Because I think that obviously, you know, he's coming over to make this film. Um, I have, I think I have seen like a, a, a slight documentary about the making of it. I don't think that he spoke much English. Uh, mm. So there could have I been, mean, that, uh, yeah. Well, that's also part of, you know, again, what, why I was like so grateful to experience this franchise, like as an adult, because honestly, you know, it, when I was younger, before I like ever had a lot of experience, I really would have missed so much, I think. And I really did appreciate how, you know, culturally it, it we don't need uh, to, to use all of those tricks we can shoot in like really wide daylight. We can be very open about what we're talking about and what, what is scary here. And I think in the sequel, in the American version, they're just sort of like falling right into all the tropes and being like, this is, this is like what we're doing right now. So let's just do that. Like to hell with the rounded out story that we were able to tell, you know, before uh, let's just tell our own. Yeah. Such a departure. No, absolutely. Another interesting note uh, is that the American remake was written by, is it um, Aaron Kruger, who wrote Screen 3? Yes, yes, I was, uh, yes, I I wrote that in my notes because I was thinking like, Mm -hmm. whoa, that's crazy. Um, Because he's also written like other non-genre movies. And so I did think it was interesting, you know, for him to be kind of trying to write this like story of family. You know, like, as we're talking about the different kinds of family dynamics that get explored kind of culturally here, it, it's interesting um, because, you know, he, he's charged with doing the emotional heavy lifting in the screen franchise, right? Like, being the one who rounds yeah. out the meaningful reason behind it all. And he did pick family. You know, he did pick it being ultimately about a family and sort of, like, what can happen to children with bad parents. Yes. <laughs> There you go. He so loves perfect. writing about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The Ring yeah, Two. What seems... I really, what, what I really love yeah, about ahead. it is um, mm-hmm. with Ring Two, is I love the um, the collision between um, the supernatural and science. Yes. Yes. I mean, I really liked that too about the initial film. Like, it was clear that they were they were going to be thinking of more of the science and more of the rationale. Because, you know, the father in the original is a math teacher, like a professor of math. So he's not like a person who's also in media and only involved in solving this crime because, like, he knows about film. 
he's just a father who's going to do his best to try to figure out whatever it could take to save his son. And again, that's way more meaningful. <laughs> like it's hinted oh, at in the American one, but it's not his choice. And it's very much, you know, the father's choice here. And sadly, you know, like, I think that's what makes it so good that, you know, his assistant and another woman who really loved and respected him cares very much for his children because she cares so much for him. And I really like that as, you know, again, as just like a true emotional kind of exploration in a way. Exactly. And I love the idea that the um, it's the the teacher's like student affair, you know, that sort <laughs> of that sort of starts that story off. You know, I think that's it's such a good genius way of doing it. We see her very briefly in the first film. Yep. And then to use her then as sort of a protagonist is is really is really clever. And there is some really standout scenes in Ring Two, uh, the Japanese oh. version for me. Uh, I think one of the scenes that really stands out is the girl, and they do use this scene actually in the in the uh, the American version of the mm-hmm. first Ring. But I think it's so much more effective when the girl um, where they have to walk and shield her from in the psychiatric uh, hospital. Yep. And she can't look at any TV screens and they're walking around. They've got a screen like by her so that she can't see it. And then she looks at the TV and obviously that mm-hmm. effect, um, the power from Sadaku's uh, videotape then affects the television. Mm-hmm. And then um, all of the patients start to go crazy. I just love the way that that scene plays out because it's so it's such a, like a break in the narrative, but just a yep. really great set piece. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I love great set pieces in films. In horror films, well, especially. Yeah, I, I like that nod to there being a psychological element and a supernatural element. And I think, you know, in this in the Ring Ringu too, like the letting those things be married is is what makes it so good. Just like you're saying, is that like it can not only can it sort of like get uh, get you in a physical way in seven days but it can also insert itself into your psyche if you haven't seen it, just because you're equally as afraid and have seen enough to understand what could happen. And I love the Mm -hmm. wave of that hitting all the people because it's easy to sort of just be like, well, they're all crazy or whatever, but you know, what, what actually drives someone crazy? You know, what actually makes somebody lose their mind or have a, have a break. And, you know, we'll get to talk about that in the third. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also my favourite sequence, of course, you cannot um, deny that the whole finale of Ring mm. 2 is just utterly, um, it's bonkers, but it's brilliant. Like the whole thing in the swimming pool. I mean, why yes. anyone would have so much I mean, electronics near a swimming pool make, <laughs> makes me scared anyway. I mean, that's the scariest bit about those scenes. The amount of wires yes. they've got next to the pool. I'm like, ah, that's a nightmare. Health and safety. Yes. Oh my gosh, I and that is something I wanted to mention too, is like, you know, the emphasis of water and how water is this conductor and this container of power, I found to be really interesting because, you know, like human beings are, are made up of water. And so there's something too talking about the natural elements maybe being able to communicate because we have water inside of us. And yeah. it is interesting that they do all of the really cool, <laughs> those tests where they're like, here, hold this glass of water, you know, stare at it, put your energy in it. And then we're going to watch it crawl up, you know, these, these paper uh, objects. It was, I yeah. really liked that part where they were really 
again, mixing like a legitimate type of science, right? Like there's, there is a natural earth science element to, you know, what happens to the molecules in water that make them change. Like yeah. Sticking to the science here. So good. Yeah, that's it. And then you had the whole sequence where it sort of melts and, um, and May and Yoshi, like they fall into the water and then they peer inside the well, which obviously mm-hmm. like, has become a motif through, um, through the first and the second film. So they're actually, our protagonists are in the well, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's even more sort of disturbing and, and uh, scary because obviously this is a child involved, even though Sadako yes. um, was a child herself, you know, she's an evil um, skeletal child that comes through your TV. This is Yoshi, who is a, a young boy who is, you know, fighting for his life in this situation. And you've got Sadako, you know, uh, uh, like just rising out of the water in the well. It is, it is what nightmares are made of. So good. Yeah. Again, like subtle, but also in, intense. And I agree, you know, like it, it ha- raises the stakes, you know, that Yoshi is there. And it is interesting how like the first film is sort of saying, take care of your children. And then with, you know, his sort of student affair being the one, the only one left to care for him, it's sort of like, take care of our children. And mm-hmm. it really is just a story about like, you know, what, what can happen to children if, if they're not given love or consideration or, you know, if they are left behind, which, you know, when she's trying to climb out of the well, he's like, just leave me. You know, if you let me go, you can get up there. And it's just yeah. so interesting, you know, that, that that's what they allow him to do. And they just delegate the American boy to being like another creepy little boy, another evil little boy, you know? Absolutely. And then you obviously get that um, that sort of payoff with the father appearing and then helping them, mm-hmm. you know, like um, his ghost appears and like takes mm-hmm. Sadaku's ra- uh, rage away and then you know, summons a rope to guide them out to safety. You know, again, we've had in the first film, um, Yoshi is basically saved by his grandfather, and now he has a parental figure also mm-hmm. who's coming in, like, uh, from beyond the grave this time to, um, yeah. to save him from the situation. I think it just, you know, I think it, 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 I think that is literally the counter-argument to Sadaku, and I think that, if anything, that's going to mm-hmm. make Sadaku even more, you know, angry and vengeful the fact that you know this young boy who she's desperately trying to uh to take um mm-hmm. his father comes and saves him yet her father was the one that created her downfall basically exactly there's yeah, so like, much going on there well so much going on there because you know again they're they're still in many ways trying to guess at like what will actually help them overcome and escape this curse right like this curse is so much more dynamic than they realize especially in the second film and then you know we all get to learn a little bit more of in the third um the figuring out the nuance of overcoming this thing that like his ghost would be able to appear and take that rage you know, just essentially being like, we will try anything and not being afraid or, or judgmental about that, but just doing whatever we need to do to keep this kid safe. And Absolutely. I, I feel like that's, that is completely flipped in the American version where she's like, oh, I'm going to keep him safe by drowning him. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Exactly. Insane. Total insanity. Yeah. 
So um, shall we hit these uh, messages before we uh, go on to uh, Ring Zero, which is the prequel, um, the the prequel film to the Japanese version. Um, it's mm-hmm. based um, on a short story uh, called mm. uh, Lemon Heart, and it is part. Oh, it's okay. from the birth from the birthday anthology. So the uh, the prequel novel wasn't actually an anthology series and this was mm-hmm. um so we had a story focusing on different characters from the ring uh saga so not just sadaku but like right. her mother her, de- her father you know like um like i think there's a story in there with uh with uh yoshi when he's grown up and older and he's like reflecting on his experiences so wow. there's a lot yeah there's a lot going on in that book but um Ring Zero birthday was from the short story Lemon Heart. But uh, let's hit these dits uh, and then we'll talk yes. about Ring Zero birthday. They are truly mocking that series. Mm. Oh, I think she's talking about the uh, American. Uh, I was going to say. Yep, yep, absolutely yeah. she is. <laughs> mocking them. Honestly, I just feel like they should. It's, it's time to give up on it, you know? Oh, okay. Good while you're ahead. Yeah, we're Maybe. starting to stretch it. <laughs> yeah, with ring with rings, you know, ring with the with the S on the end. That was not a good mm-hmm. film. No. I remember when I was younger, first time watching The Ring, uh, my mother actually played a prank on me, and she did phone <gasps> the house phone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yes. Did she go? Although I must say, um, again, just to show how bashing you over the head the American mm-hmm. version is with uh, trying to tell you basically, not like uh, telling you, not showing you what's going on. When um, when the journalist answers the phone in the first film, um, after she's watched the video, all you hear is the nails, the scratchy mm-hmm. violin sound. You don't actually hear um, anyone say seven days. You know, it's, it's, you know, that's been implied uh, through the narrative, through the investigation, rather than someone going, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's why I think the original film is also uh, definitely um, the best. Other than just a random thing. I miss VHS tapes. (laughs) Me too. Me too. I, I was enjoying seeing the little VHS counters in, in these movies. That, that was a nice throwback. Yes. I mean, that's the only thing that dates this movie, I think, is the yeah. fact that it's a VHS tape, which is a shame. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, funnily enough, um, The Ring is the first film I have actually saw at the cinema, um, like horror wow. film, because um, I am a wuss. Um, the fact that it came out <laughs> in 2002 as well, um, I think I was 16, 16 Amazing. or 17. So, um, yeah, I was very surprised, but it was a damn good film. I'll give you that much. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> oh, glad glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, sixteen is a perfect age to watch the ring or ring. Absolutely. Although I watched it at thirteen, and that, and it really did inspire my imagination. So that's also <laughs> a great time to watch it. 
Mm-hmm. Get your kids, get your kids around. It's Sunday tomorrow. Get your kids around. You know, just before lunch, and, and watch Ringu, and see what they yep. say. <laughs> They'll have nightmares. Yo, I get scared as shit with horror movies. I think I, you were talking about this before. I just, I want to always say what's up to you guys, like, because I love, you know, I think you're funny. Uh, Keith, uh, you know, I just, Jesus, you're always talking about the scary shit, man. I, <laughs> I'm like a punk when it comes to that horror film shit. Uh, I don't even know how anybody does it. I love it. Well, you know, the whole thing about horror movies is it's feeling that emotion of fear, uh, but in a safe space, you know? Yeah. And yep. this I... is this is the thing, and a lot of people don't sort of realize this, but um, horror is one of the most inventive genres, not because, you know, that people want to scare you, but some of the best mm-hmm. storytelling and um, the genre mixes come through horror. Like, you can have a horror comedy, you can have a horror yep. romance, like in within horror you can you can mix those um genres up so well and like with the ring you know it's not just about a horror film it's a thriller it's um you know like there's a it's a family drama yep you know it's a, a story about um about trauma and revenge and vengeance it's not necessarily just about the horrific elements of it it is um also about you know human relationships and Human, mm-hmm. the human experience. So absolutely, yeah. Give it a go, Doctor Pete. Don't be, don't be a wuss. <laughs> yeah, you'll like it. It's good. Yeah, it's a great film. Okay, so The Ring is actually one of my favorite scary movies, and I think what drew me into it as a child was it was my first experience with an aesthetic horror movie. Like I feel like yeah. movies like Midsommar and Hereditary fall into that now. But back then, there weren't very many of those. We had a lot of, like, slasher films and stuff. But this one seemed to focus more on, like, the overall aesthetic of the film rather than um, how, like, gruesome and how horrifying it could be. Yeah. Such a good point. Such a good point. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, if you think about it, there isn't actually that much, like, horrific moment within the ring. There's, like, that first bit at the beginning... Uh, when you see the dead niece, that's the first scare and first pe- bit of horror that we actually get. And then obviously mm-hmm. the video. Right. Um, um, if we're watching, if we're talking about the Japanese version, there it's all about the investigation. It's all about finding out that information. And then at the end, yep. you know, in in the well, and then obviously her coming out of the television. You know, there's only really four main, like. Whole, like horrific elements within that movie you know yep. the rest of it is all about uh it's a tense thriller it's about family uh relationships and mm-hmm. yeah there isn't actually much that you would go at, at the ring mm-hmm. well i think that that's also what's strange about you know the difference in these franchises because of course after i finished i was like okay i have to go back and re-watch the american adaptation so i can see like basically what they were what they stole essentially i was like i want to know what they actually took here that i can't remember and i i remember being like holy shit i did forget that the color palette is a nasty gray green and it's a mm. really kind of harsh color palette that like throughout you only get a couple of breaks from so that they can pump up reds but it really is dark in a way that the original franchise just like doesn't need to be 
And I, mm. I like it. I like films that do that. Like, I do like Hereditary and Midsommar. I like that they are going to, you know, do a color palette and make their world look a certain way. But I think that's what I appreciate about watching Ringu is that they don't have to do that. They're like, no, this is just like life. This is like happening to a family, and this family is going to figure out what they need to do. And you know what? It pretty much destroyed this family, but there's still someone adjacent that cares enough about the remaining family member. And, you know, we're going to try to figure out, again, just how to beat this curse. It's, a, it's about a curse, not being afraid of our own lives. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, I, and my favorite sequence, I just want to say, from the, uh, the remake of The Ring, is the sequence mm-hmm. of the horse on the boat. Oh, I think that's that really effective. Really, oh, really so well gruesome. shot. Yeah, yeah, for like a PG-13 movie, in... they get away yeah. with stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, when it jumps in the water and the water just turns red, it's, ter- it's horrific, but really well done. Really well mm-hmm. done. I can't mm-hmm. think of a single uh, fa- good moment from The Ring 2, the America remake, just to let you know. Just Absolutely saying. not. Me either. Nothing. <laughs> Zero. Yep. Good on it. I personally think Ring 2 should have been a movie musical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it is. It'd probably be able to stand uh, if it was just a movie musical. We might be able to, yeah. at the very least, digest it. Yeah. And if we're talking about the Japanese version, The Ring 2, um, the Japanese version, is a decent sequel. It's decent. Yes. It's good. I really enjoyed I it. Like it. It really adds layers of, like, um, it adds to the legend so much yes. more and just adds so many more layers of mixing science and superstition and and the supernatural mm-hmm. it, it is it, the ring to the japanese version is a good sequel guys go out and then grab a copy if you can if you live in the uk mm-hmm. and i think i think in the usa um you can also pick up the arrow video collection of of yes. the three ring ring movies that we're talking about please do because there's so many extras on there they have mm-hmm. um a discussion group where you've got modern day horror writers uh, sitting around and actually discussing the film and talking about, you know, like the writing and the, the cultural impacts of the movies. Such a great mm-hmm. box set. If you can get your hands on it, please do. eBay or Amazon or something that's not such a big corporation. But yeah, try and find exactly. it because it's great. Yeah. Hi, Keith. Hi, Shani B. I hope you have a lovely life just swiping through the streets. I thought I would send a little message. Kisses. Thank you, Kel. Yeah, thank you. Hey, hey. Kel would not watch this film. She's not a girl that would watch The Ring. That's okay. Um, If she watched The Ring, I'd probably have to be on the phone with her all night (laughs) to make sure that she's okay because she loves nightmares. Well, yep. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. You, you could re- maybe read the book. That might not be as scary and still effective to let you know kind of what's going down. Yeah, absolutely. I have seen the books uh, readily available um, just before COVID in mm. our, one of our big bookstores. So I know that they're still in print and easy to get hold of. So, uh, yeah, the books are a good route to go down. Absolutely. Why are pale women with long black hair so scary? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just tuning in right now, guys. But yeah, to me, that's what makes the ring scary. <laughs> well, yeah, there is something yeah, interesting that's a good about question. that. That's a good question. I mean, obviously, we know 
uh, why that is scary in uh, Japan uh, because it's a cultural thing, you know, mm-hmm. like, but, you know, why is that? Why do we find that scary? I find it scary because it's the hair covering the face. Yes. That scares me more than anything. You know, it's that long black hair that just covers the face. You can't see yes. what's underneath. What is they hiding? It's no different than, you know, in uh, Friday the 13th or in mm-hmm. Scream, you know, the killer wears a mask. Whereas in these, uh, it's like the nat- it's natural. It's the, just the hair covering the face, which is obscuring the, uh, the killer's identity, which I find um, very unsettling. Yes, yes. I, I also think that, you know, like it's it's kind of like a genius choice because that hair both makes you want to know what's underneath it and also terrified of what's underneath it because you can't anticipate what you're going to see. And that's what she needs you to be thinking in order for her to get you. <laughs> so it's kind of amazing. Exactly. How you don't really need anything other than her just naturally obscuring her own face so that you desire even more to see it. Absolutely. Right, we've got one more message, and then we're going to talk about Ring Ooh. Zero. And just before we round off, I'd really like to talk about uh, the Ring Legacy, so the legacy that the uh, the Ring has left behind. Uh, very mm. quickly, just want to quickly talk about that. Okay, here we go. But now I vividly remember going to the theater to see the American remake of the Ring, and uh, for some reason, like my dad took me, and for some reason, we were late as hell. Um, probably <laughs> just because my dad, my dad's late to everything, but. Uh, so when we came, though, my the point of my story is, like, I didn't know any of the setup of, like, you know, you watch the tape and then you die in seven days or anything like that. And that made the experience that much scarier for me because it was, like, I don't know what's going to happen or what's going on. I just know, like, there's all this creepy shit happening to this woman and her boyfriend and, like... Uh, <laughs> And then occasionally, like, wow. this pale chick shows up with this long hair, like, drenched in, in whatever water or something in as well. And, oh, man, it, it creeped me the fuck out. And then, obviously, like, watching it back, I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. But, yeah, just not knowing what was going on, uh, don't recommend just watching, like, half of the ring. what an amazing story for so many reasons because you know as we're talking about there's a father-son element going on in the original franchise it's not as strong in the american remake but i love that like him and his dad are trying to go see this movie they end up soups late they don't know what's going on but they hang in there and they do figure it out eventually it's pretty great i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna award you the, the the strangest piece of advice that anyone has given on any of my podcasts. <laughs> Guys, just gonna say, don't watch the ring from halfway through because nope. you know it's it's not a great experience. Okay, okay, we won't. Thank you very much for uh, yes. for letting us know. Thank you, Shen. But I suppose <laughs> on in some ways, you know, someone might be flicking through uh, like different TV channels one night and come across the ring and not have seen it before. And maybe it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes in. So actually, there is a basis why he is giving that advice. Yeah, but, that's uh, a good basis. Yeah, absolutely. Right, last question. So do you think the popularity of um, The Ring, the American version, kind of ruined it for any following movie in America? Because I feel like it became more of a joke in pop culture than it did like a horror yeah. um, trope. Like, I feel like once it got on Scary Movie and it was like, Cindy, the TV's leaking. I feel like after that, like, it kind of just became like, oh, this isn't horror anymore. This is just funny. And it's kind of hard to, like, 
take that concept seriously anymore. I yeah, totally but, agree with that. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. But at the same time, like, if, if something is scary and really gets to the root of, you know, the human core and really, and really frightens people, what is the next best thing to do? Laugh at it. Make it funny. Make fun at it. Make it a joke. You know, but people, you have to remember that, that people are only doing that because deep down in their subconscious or in their, in their psyche, they are deeply terrified of this. So, well, for sure. Um, and I think it's interesting because that's what I was thinking about when I was watching the American adaptation was, I was like, oh man, in Scary Movie 3, they do all this stuff, you know, that has to do with making fun of the ring. And to me, what I was thinking was, it loses its effect because it's like missing the ring. Like by making fun of only just how creepy she is and that she's creepy, they like missed what actually made her scary. So whatever they're making fun of isn't actually her anyway. It's just the imagery that they know everyone's afraid of. Do you know what I mean? Well, again, to link it with Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, like in the mm-hmm. in the latter um, installments of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, Freddy was a, a wisecracking, you know, funny like killer but in the original he's a pedophile he kills murdered children (laughs) it's true it's like as they go on yeah in scary movies we're poking fun of um samara or sadaku whoever you want to call it (laughs) we're poking fun of her forgetting that she was a child who was murdered by her own father bashed over the head and pushed into a well exactly Exact Amundo. You know, um, I think I some it. things are so dark and sort of beyond human understanding and really get to us in the root of our subconscious that the only mm-hmm. way that we can fight back is to make it a joke. So true. Yeah, until we're no longer kind of afraid of it. And then if you want, you can go back and sort of actually maybe identify. And that sort of also leads me to how we soften up our experience of a lot of these, uh, like, you know, quote unquote killers, because we learn more about them and it's hard not to begin empathizing with them. And, you know, that's what Mm -hmm. I really loved about Ring Zero was sort of like, oh, this is so interesting because it's doing what I know a lot of the trilogies do, which is try to get you to empathize and understand so that we can really overcome what's happened here. And this Mm -hmm. one follows the exactly the exact perfect rules. You know, what we thought was true from the beginning wasn't exactly true. I exactly. Love I loved it. Um, I, I'm just going to grab myself some water. Did you want to talk about uh, Ring Zero as in, like, uh, the basic plot-wise, uh, mm-hmm. what we're dealing with here? Excellent. Yeah. Grab some water. Yeah. Oh. I won't meet you, though. No, absolutely. Um, I Okay, so Ring Zero is uh, basically going to give us access to Sadaku when she's, like, a teenager, sort of early 20s-ish. Uh, age and she's trying she's in Tokyo and she's just trying to figure out how to let go of the past where you know her father uh, and mother had sort of treated her in such a horrible way and were afraid of her and she's seeing a doctor who's trying to give her medication in order to kind of suppress some of her visions and maybe give her a chance at a normal life and of course what she's doing is joining a drama troupe uh, where they're putting on a play that is based on eyes without a face the French horror movie that I love so much. Oh, and we discussed that on this stories. show, haven't we? 
We did. I was so excited yeah. to, when I saw that happening, I was like, oh my God, it's eyes without a face. I think that's what they're doing. And I, I loved the drama element of sort of giving her access to an avenue where she would be able to transform her feelings into performance. I thought that was the smartest shit ever because basically that was sort of saying, this is how it transcends into a level of entertainment that is on your VHS tape someday. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. I loved every second. And I love that, you know, she finds this place. She may very well be able to sort of transcend and figure out how she's going to overcome her own demons. And then people do what people do best and make assumptions and operate based on fear and kind of end up being, you know, the reason that she wasn't able to overcome and become something better than her mother. She became something even worse. Yeah. It's a tragic story. It really is. And there's like mm-hmm. sort of elements of, uh, dare I say, carry at the end, sort of a little bit, maybe reversed carry in some ways. Yeah, you know, you've got this yes. girl, you know, and she's um, just got telekinetic powers, you know, yeah. and she starts breaking stuff up and, you know, like she breaks the camera at one point, doesn't she? Um, yep. Yeah, so there's that element of it. And then obviously, um, you know, as the story progresses, you know, the thing I found a little bit strange, and I'm just going to throw it out here, Sadie mm-hmm. in this film is a lot older than what I imagine Sadaku to being in the first two films. Well, that's an interesting piece here because in the first two films, they're talking about her as a woman. Like, they're not talking about her as a child. And then in the American mm. remake, because, you know, we love evil kids, they make her even smaller. So I was thinking to myself, how old is she? You know, like, is she, is this like a college production, a community production? Like, I couldn't figure out how old they wanted me to think she was. So I'm kind of mm. with you where I didn't know she, like, I thought she would be the child they destroyed, not like right at the precipice of an actual identity and sort of like leaving home, like at the age where everyone leaves home, which I think I really liked. You know, she was prime yeah. in the part of your life where you're going to figure out, you know, what of you is your parents and what of you is all you, you know, going to be built on your own experiences. And again, like, I was so surprised with how much I liked that third one. I was like, damn, this shit is so good. I love a prequel. Yeah. It nails it. <laughs> and it nails yeah. it. It really does. It really does. And I remember uh, watching it for the first time uh, when I managed to, again, you remember I told the story last week about the uh, the boot sale at the end of my road? And they used to yes. take my three pounds and go down mm-hmm. and buy as many stuff as I could. Well, um, mm-hmm. I remember that a guy had Ring 2 and Ring 0 on VHS. Yes. And I picked them up. And I remember watching Ring 0 and being so upset at the end. Even mm-hmm. though we know what happens, because obviously it swings straight into um, the ring after this. You know, when... Right. Um, you know, when Sadakus, like, she sort of recovers from what she's mm-hmm. done, and then, you know, um, and then she's drugged, and then, like, yeah. chases her, and then you see the well, and you're like, oh, no. Mm. You know, I hated she's, it. Like, begging, she's begging for her life, and then he just, um, he just kills her and throws her it. in the well. Yeah. Well, it, it was just such a story about how, you know, sometimes parents can 
when they're overwhelmed with their children, just judge them, just decide they're bad, you know, and, and not give them the proper support and love to move through their fear and their anger. And, you know, to sort of always hold her accountable and miss that, you know, what, what her actual gift was, was saving people. You know, like when her boyfriend is going to die, she touches him and saves him. She gives, you know, like the paraplegic man in the hospital the ability to walk. And everybody missed this part simply because if she used it the wrong way, it could also hurt people. Like, yeah, so, so well done to sort of explain to me, you know, why in the initial film they talked about how, you know, she appears to have only been dead for like two years. So I don't really know how that's possible. And I was like, yeah. how are they ever going to explain that? Like, will they? And I loved how they were like, oh, you know how it's possible? Is that, like, she is someone who can regenerate. It's very hard to kill her, and she can also give that gift away. Um, mm. Such a bummer. And it's that so bit when tragic. she's like, having that little dream at the end of, like, her boyfriend. And then she yeah. realizes that she's, like, trapped in the well. And then she's like looking up and screaming, and then the, the lid comes on. You're like, oh no, oh man. Uh, yep. Mm. Yeah, totally. I remember being really confused. I remember being really confused mm. though by like the two Sadaku thing that was going mm-hmm. on in the film. I remember being very confused by that. How did you fit? How would? How were you with that? I agree. I was thinking a lot about that too because yeah, like all you really get from her father is like at some point she split into two. You know, like she was able to what I guess I decided was compartmentalize. So like mm-hmm. she didn't necessarily actually deal with her fear or her anger. She began to start to try to avoid it. She began to start to try to hide it. And I think that's why she was always looking down, you know, like if she looked up, she wouldn't be able to hide from, you know, the real things that she's still afraid of and still angry about. And that's why I love that, you know, like finding a partner, someone who really sees her for what she could be and the goodness inside of her is going to give her access to maybe actually persist through that fear and anger and find a level of happiness. And of course, you know, that gets taken away from her. So I feel like the split Mm. is really just about her trying to avoid that, you know, she has very founded anger, you know, what happened to her family and what her, how her mother treated her and her father treated her. uh, I feel like it tracks for her to be pretty angry and confused and Mm -hmm. afraid of people because people have misjudged her since she was a child in a room full of adults that were like evil. It's, you know, yeah. like totally misjudged and misrepresented from the youngest of ages. Oh, poor Sadaku. And then she comes back all around into the first one and starts mercilessly killing people. As you do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, I like, too, that it does comment on how, you know, like, in that, in that third, uh, third film, the prequel, you know, like, the first attempt to get rid of her is sort of like a social attempt, right? Like, the society, uh, meaning her drama troupe, is like, we are banding together to kill her, to get rid of her. Very Freddy Krueger style. Um, but yes. she is someone you can't kill, uh, so she's going to be able to return. And I feel like, you know, that's sort of what what is the motive for me is that, like, she's now making people pay for forgetting its children, for treating its children, you know, unfairly, uh, for never giving her a chance and never giving some chance. So I, I like mm. the the little bit of, uh, I guess, the allegory there. <laughs> no, absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Ring Zero. I would say out of the three, I think that my my enjoyability uh, for the films goes in order of their release. So one, two, and three. I did enjoy mm-hmm. them. Don't get me wrong. I think three is, is amazing. And uh, for all the points that you've brought up, I think you've you put it into a nutshell. Um, but I think that... Um, I, I think that as a franchise, I think those first mm-hmm. three films really stand out. I, I think that the American remake, I think the first one is not too bad. I think the, the second one and Rings are completely unnecessary. Um, uh, yes. But I would urge anyone that hasn't seen uh, The Ring to check out the Japanese uh, version first. All three of them, or all what, 12 of them, if you want to <laughs> watch the TV shows. And the uh, and spiral, which is the like sort of official official slash unofficial re- sequel, which is so yep. confusing um, and so much. If you want to go in, then do the you know the Sadaku 3D and Sadaku versus the Grudge and, and everything that they they later turned her out to be, which obviously so then good. just ward. Yeah, great, but then you know obviously just then turn Sadaku into your sort of you know, mainstream sort of monster rather than having much feeling like they do in um in the films. But I just want to quickly talk yep. about like the influence that the ring has had um not just on obviously J horror but on the mm-hmm. horror all over the world because literally the ring opened up or Ringu opened the floodgate to yes. um Asian horror becoming huge in uh-huh. um, Western society. Um, yes. To name a few, you had things like um, The Grudge, obviously, uh, which followed mm-hmm. on, which became a huge success. Uh, Dark Water, which was uh, yep. one of my personal favourites. Great film. Uh, so the good. Eye, which was another one, which was, which was uh, another one of my favourites. But I think my all-time favourite, I think after The Ring, my all-time mm-hmm. favourite... Um, horror movie that's, that came out of that era of J-horror was um, A Tale of Two Sisters, the South Korean movie, yes. A Tale of Two Sisters, yep. um, which I yep. think is um, probably one of the, actually one of my uh, favourite films of all time. If you haven't watched Tale of Two Sisters, watch it. I will warn you, there is a jump scare in that film that will make you go blind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, but it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it because yeah. whenever your sight gets recovered... It's, you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, and the twist in that film is so mad that you will go back um, straight back to the beginning of the movie and want to watch it again. Because mm-hmm. it is uh, an incredible movie. And I'm glad that that film is a standalone. Yes. Really, yeah, really I agree. that film is a standalone. Ditto. So I think that the, yeah, the, I... Legacy of, the legacy of The Ring really stands mm-hmm. upon that, um, that pedestal of, of bringing... J horror to the west and yep. therefore opening up so many more um uh, stories but not only that giving us such a like exclusive look into uh how um asian communities view death horror yes, um, yes. You know, it, it really is a cultural uh, peak into how those cultures really do um, discuss yep. like death and and the process of death and grieving and 
you know, and family. It really yep. is. Uh, so I think that is really the biggest for me um, influence on the ring that it really did sort of, um, you know, people for that very short space of time that those mm-hmm. movies were really big, like, and really popular. It took yep. people away from your usual Hollywood tropes. It, it yep. you know, introduced a lot of people to watching a foreign language film with subtitles. Yes. God forbid subtitles. Um, right. You know, and because everyone was talking about this film when it came out, and uh, so true. you know, I could have lived without a, a, a remake purely because it was such a good way of getting people that wouldn't necessarily go and watch a, um, mm-hmm. a, a foreign language film to get out and watch it a bit like Parasite yes totally you know? agree yeah you know, I mean you, you are spot on mm-hmm. go ahead I was going to say a lot of people who haven't seen uh, a foreign language film or a subtitled movie before were then actively engaged in going out and seeking out Parasite because obviously it won best picture at the Oscars and people's mm-hmm. uh, curiosity was peaked so, um, and I think that The Ring did that back in uh, 1998. I think so many people were curious about this, you know, horror movie that everyone was talking about that had come over from Japan. That uh, mm-hmm. They put that sort of fear and that, dare I say, prejudice towards foreign language films and subtitled movies and delve right mm-hmm. in there and then realise that it's not such a bad thing. And, then, uh, and that just opened up a whole new uh, cinematic library to them. And yep, I think that's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, you are spot on. You know, like the ability for us to explore other cultural looks at things like death and horror and ramifications and consequence, you know, like opened up so many other countries being able to share these things with us. And and I agree that like it it's such a perfect way. It's the perfect can opener, if you will, because it's subtle. Like, again, it's not that, like, everyone was talking about it because something, like, truly gruesome happened in it. The way that, like, when Hostel came out, people were like, oh, you're going to throw up. Go see this. You know, it was sort of like, there's something really scary about this movie, and I can't even quite explain it to you, so you have to see it. And, you know, that's what the movie Mm -hmm. itself is about, too. So just such a perfect way to open our minds, especially considering, you know, how how cheeky everything had gotten, you know, in the 80s with slashers and how in the 90s we were trying to reckon with that in a very meta way. This coming at the tail end sort of reminded us that, like, there's actually some other elements that feed into this. And Mm -hmm. it really informs the way that I watch a lot of movies now. I, I really appreciate it. Exactly. And I think that one of the, um, one of the things about the ring that strikes me every time I watch it, because I'm so used to watching, you know, horror films now, even films like uh, Midsummer or uh, Hereditary, Mm -hmm. um, those films, even though they are literally just, you know, full on, there are are those moments of, dare I say, relief and hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though though that hope that you're given doesn't pay off, in the ring, that there is nothing like it is doom laden you've got seven days you know like a, de- mm-hmm. a desperate race to save your life and so many people have lost their lives before that film is dripping but what i love about the ring 
Um, I love mm-hmm. the story, don't get me wrong. I love the way it looks. I love the concept. I love everything. But what I yep. really love about the ring is the soundscape. Oh, it's so effective and so intrusive mm-hmm. in the best of ways. And, yep. you know, again, so thought through, you know, delicately placed, not overused, not uh, too abrasive, just the perfect amount of like raising the hair on the back of your neck. And right when you feel like I can't take it anymore, we move, you know, like it's yeah, as though the, the film can like feel you watching it sometimes and knows how to keep moving because it knows where your threshold is somehow, you know? Absolutely. And if you want to experience the ring in any other medium, you can, because they actually mm. made the ring into a manga comic. Amazing. Yes. yes. Yeah, I mean, so you can to talk about, not, I was going to say, to talk about not only the legacy, like, as it will be represented in films, but, like, the legacy of, you know, how it's its own universe in this sense, you know, like, just like a Marvel universe or any of the others that are expanding to sort of be across mediums and give you access to telling this story in so many different ways. It's just a testament to, again, you know, the the force with which this affected change, like, in filmmaking and in horror. Yeah. No, completely agree with you. Yeah. Right, let's get these last couple of messages to see what these guys are saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we'll be saying... Toodle pip, but not for long because uh, behind the scenes, me and Shani B are going to choose uh, our next franchise to yeah. delve into. Uh, so, yes, yes, yeah, yes. we're not going anywhere, guys. Don't you worry. Cindy, this bitch is messing up my flow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was really loud. Lie. That made me jump. <laughs> I've got a headphone thing, you know. Oh, my goodness. Just took a year off my life. Thank you. You know what? Uh, I could have done without the last uh, 10 fucking rings. The first one was great. Uh, after that, everybody took and ran with the fucking little scary girl thing. You know, it just got played out, you know, and it's like uh, here in America in Hollywood, you know. Oh, it sells, man. We got to make another one. We got to make another one. We got to run this well dry so everybody hates us by the end yep. of it. And, uh, it and I'm quite sick of it. And um, I believe that I'm, uh, I believe that I'm going to um, go to Hollywood and get nude. <laughs> Yikes. I mean, making a lot of sense until the naked part, because, like, let's be cool yeah. on that stuff. But I'll be honest with you, it's... I don't think I want to see your ring in any movie no. anytime soon, sir. If that's possible, that's not a to good do that. point. Yeah. <laughs> and I like the pun of the well drying up, you know, because there's a yeah. well in the story. <laughs> well, good one. If you're talking about the American uh, re- um, sequels, I completely agree with you. But remember, like, we, what we found out earlier, there's like. 13 ring movies like combining the uh the three yep. american and then like the 10 sequels and prequels and tv shows in um japan so yeah maybe the ring they must be worse. really is um really is a franchise it's true i mean they're they're worse offenders of expanding but i bet that they expanded in a more meaningful way because, you know, this franchise as a whole, as we've been talking about it, is so perfectly concise and contained and thought through and exploratory in the right ways when it needs to be. 
And, you know, that is not what American uh, franchises are often about. They really are often about, oh, this will make money. Let's make as many of these as we can. And at the very mm -hmm. least, I like that. I I'm sure that when they expanded in Japan, it's, it has more care because they connected to the story in a much more human way than American audiences did because they got pretty preoccupied with that scary little girl. Well, yes, and they, and they used the source material as well. They went back mm -hmm. to the source material every time. You know, the same writer, uh, his yep. book, you know, they went back. Apart from Ring 2, uh, which was obviously uh, Spiral was, was, the no was the novel, but Ring 2 uh, was sort of a spin-off from that. Um, yeah, so I think sticking to the source material uh, is really important. So I think a lot of American uh, franchises do not do that. Exactly. Even if the source material is, you know, the the franchise bible that the that the creator, you know, comes up with. You know, mm -hmm. it's why Scream Three is slightly. Uh, I mean, Scream Three is a, is a good film, but it's not Scream Two and it's not Scream One because obviously it's yep. not Kevin Williamson. So that's the right. reason why. Um, right. But because I think um, the Ring trilogy uh, that we've been talking about today has been pretty mm -hmm. much from the from the mind of the same writer. Um, yeah. I think it's great. That's yeah. why, right, you know, all of the... Oh, sorry, yes, do it. Oh, I was just going to make a comment about Game of Thrones, too, uh, because, you know, it's why the whole series of Game of Thrones is amazing. And then that final season was just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yes. Yeah, because they run out of source material. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's it. And once you stray from the... Um, you know, like the franchise Bible, that's it. You're in big trouble. Yep. Do you know what I mean, we, we see it Very in hard. every single franchise, does it? You know? Yep. Um, yep. Freddy, Jason, um, Hellraiser, um, you know, Thor. <laughs> you know, they all stray from the franchise Bible of what the creator was originally out to do. Um, and that's as soon right. as they do that, they're dead in the water. Exactly. I totally agree. <laughs> yes. Good one. Okay, let's hit the last city. So yeah, it sounds like you guys um recommend the whole ring trilogy, which I see is on Shudder. Um and yes. yeah, I definitely want to check out now, um, just on your recommendation. And I've seen the American remakes of The Grudge and the Ring and uh the shitty sequels for both of those. Um and I did see <laughs> the original The Grudge um when it was on Shudder. So and I actually enjoyed that one, but um just uh, what do you guys prefer in terms of like the whole franchise? Like, do you prefer the grudge films or the ring films? I know there's like a lot uh, for both of them, including like the American remakes and all that. And, you know, the grudge had two American remakes now, um, which is what the one like last year or two years ago. So um, yeah. What do you guys mm -hmm. think? I mean, mm. for me, it's the ring franchise, like 100% yeah. going ring all the way. I guess even though I hate the American uh, sequel, the original adaptation, you know, came out strong, as strong as we could ever be because I'm not, I don't love the grudge overall. Like there's a lot of really good stuff there and I would be willing to explore that franchise since they are connected in this way. But man, the American remake of the grudge is just really, it's just too flat. Like it, it I feel like it's missing something. And so I got to go yeah. ring all the way. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out here. I'm not actually a fan of the original um, grudge, the grudge. 
Um, nice. I, Good. I, Me I neither. Slow. I think it has a, a like a fourth act that is just like unnecessarily, and it's like it plods along the ring mm-hmm. every day. And Cisco, like, um, come come closer, come closer, my friend. You need <laughs> to watch um, the ring in the dark. Okay, Cisco, are yes. you listening? In the dark. Okay, throw a duvet, throw some covers over you. Um, turn off your phone. Um, have no distractions and just let that movie play. Uh, and if you can, I don't know, I don't know if it's possible, but if you can, um, watch it with headphones. Yes. Yep. Then it'll you be get perfect. The full soundscape in your ears. Um, and you will have one. Of, it is one of the most terrifying experiences you'll ever have. It really is. The first ring yep. is an absolute masterpiece. So please, 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 yeah, do because, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's if, if you it. can look past the the VHS tape and the landline <laughs> telephone, if you can look yep. past that, you're gonna you're have, good to you're go. have a ride of your life. It's <laughs> terrifying. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm. I agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of The Grudge. Sort of like either way. Um, so it's got to be the ring for me, but there's, it's interesting, you know, that they are both such powerhouses and I don't think the grudge really could ever be in the conversation if it came first. Like, I think it only has staying power in the U S because the ring went first and it tried and it had better source material and man, the American remake of the grudge is phoned in like nobody's business. <laughs> um, but it let's is, save that for another day. Is. Yeah. We got to say Yes, we will. But I will say, just very fleetly, I actually did prefer the American uh, grudge to the, the original, purely because it, it is more watchable. It is more watchable. Uh, yeah. It moves along. It moves True. along at a more, um, at a better pace. The visuals, obviously, are not as good, and you've got Sarah Michelle Gellar doing her thing. But yes, the pace <laughs> of the movie is so much better. Mm-hmm. And directed Absolutely. by the same director the same director as the original grudge as well you know so he came and did the um the american remake also it wasn't uh it was like his baby he came and did it um wow. as well so there are elements that really connect with the original film as well but with we're straying from the franchise we've got one last message uh from our lovely friend uh, cisco so here we go yeah i thought the first grudge was like okay i didn't mean to like overstate things i i definitely prefer the ring too i just wanted to know what you guys thought but um <laughs> yeah i'm definitely gonna check out i didn't even i didn't even know they had the whole trilogy on shutter so that's definitely a plug and um so as far as watching it goes i got a pretty like wide tv and uh pretty good sound system so uh i'm definitely gonna do that tonight uh with the lights off <laughs> I'll, I'll take Hi. that i'll take that recommendation Excellent. And seven days uh, we'll come and we'll mourn you. Yes, we'll be ready. We'll be waiting. Uh, Yeah, thank you very much. And I'm glad that um, So, if anyone um, has Shudder, um, uh, lovely Cisco that just told us there that you can watch uh, the Ring films on there. Um, And if you are, like me, one of those dinosaurs that loves the, the physical um you know product in my hand uh you can go to arrow video and you can uh, pick up the ring collection which is uh ring ring two and ring zero with some fantastic amazing um special features but 
And this is what I wanted to tell you. And thank you, myself, for prompting me. Did you know that Arrow Video now has its own streaming service on Amazon? I did not know that. And I will be checking that out. Wow. Because I tell you what, there are some absolute classics on there. You can watch the Ring movies. You can also watch the extras from the DVD, from the Blu-rays on there Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, They've got so many amazing films. And in the Amazing. UK, it's it's literally three pounds fifty a month for it. So what is that? Wow, about five dollars. Not even that. Yeah, that's nothing. So yep, that'll totally doable. Amazing. Okay, I'm absolutely yeah. going to explore Check that out. because Our Amazon videos, is a great place. It. Yep, for yes. connecting in that way. So absolutely nice. Yeah. Nice. Oh, so it is a streaming. It's so a great. streaming uh, service, uh, just like HBO Max, uh, just like uh, Hulu, Netflix. Mm. Amazon Prime, Amazon Video. It's like that, but it, it shows Amazing. everything that, um, that Arrow Video have in its catalogue plus extras. Boom. Boom. So, I will absolutely be checking that out. Yeah, you'll have to message me on Instagram and let me know if, if it's available. I'm, I'm hoping that it is, but I've got it, yep. and, it and it's, uh, it's uh, so many films on there. It's brilliant. So many Yep, classes. I will absolutely check and let you know for sure, because that sounds amazing. Super. Right, well, there we go. That's the end of another episode of The Real Horror Show. And uh, thank you so much, Sunny B. You know uh, how much I love doing this show with you. It's literally, um, I'm a pig in poo doing this show. I just love it. I absolutely love it. So thank you very much. Ditto, ditto, ditto. I hope you have a lovely rest of your weekend. And I look forward to talking behind the scenes and getting ready for the next one. Oh, I wonder what it could be. I'm excited. I've got so many ideas uh, spinning around my head. But uh, yeah, so please do join us next time, guys. If you're not following Shani B, what the hell is wrong with you? Seven days. Um, (laughs) Right, you have seven days. And if you are following me, what's the wrong? What the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) No. Um, Oh um, my gosh. Yeah, please follow us because you get notified uh, when we come online. Um, like if we're ever doing anything you get a little notification going they're on so um, that's always good so uh, please do follow us it's lovely uh, for you to do that so thank you very much Shani B you have a great day too Ditto. talk to you soon <laughs>